Jedi illusions. After many months of waiting, I know everybody is has has been waiting with bated breath for the return of Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill. Well, the wait is over. Back with Terabell to cover another exciting VHS tape of Thomas the Tank Engine. Super, super excited to be back. As I uh, as I recovered from surgery, really the only thing I could think about was getting back to the show specifically to get back to the island of Sodor. And we are back. And Tara, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately? Well, after all these months, bar results finally came back. So I am officially a lawyer. When we started this show, I think I was still studying for the bar and then waiting for bar results. But here we are. And we're finally here with the next TTE and chill. T-T- Very exciting. TTE, I think there's three T's. Anyway, it's... I don't know. <laughs> well, we're so glad to have you here, especially because the first episode, this is the Thomas Breaks the Rules tape. Now, in England, if you're one of our British listeners, this would be known as Thomas in Trouble. But perhaps fitting for a uh, fresh lawyer, we have Thomas breaks the rules, and Thomas himself is a regular lawbreaker, as the uh, as the policeman noted. But uh, we 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 start off with a bit of an interesting dynamic, one that I've uh, something that's kind of bothered me since I first watched this as a child, which. Thomas is shown to be uh, puffing along his branch line with Annie and Clarabelle, except they're at the back of the freight train. And for whatever reason, that's always bothered me. It bothers me especially since later in the episode, not to jump too far ahead, but Toby has Henrietta right behind him, and then the freight car is right behind her. This, Annie and Clarabelle are at the back of the train. Now, from what we know about freight cars, they're really, uh, they're very troublesome and if I were uh, driving along with my uh, two girlfriends or whatever, any Clarabelle are to him, I would make sure they were right behind me in case the freight cars tried to break away like they always do. And, you know, that could prove very troublesome for, uh, for those, those two poor coaches. I don't think they would like to be at the back. They seem to kind of, uh, from what we saw of the episode where Thomas lost his conductor, they seem to be uh, really, really interested in making everything run smoothly, and yet they were at the back. I thought that was kind of odd. What did you think of that, Tara? Well, would there be any reason for them to be at the back in case they did break off? And so they there could be, like... These they, they really do seem like motherly figures there to watch over the freight cars if need be. There um, would be like, you know, adult supervision or like preventing them from breaking off at all because the freight cars would then know, okay, guys, if we break off, we're stuck with these two people with us. Well, I mean, I, I guess the big counter argument against that would be uh, what would they be able to do to stop a runaway thing? I mean, they, you're, you're right in the aspect that they would... Uh, Certainly complain if they did go off the rails, but uh, there's also the chance the freight cars might like that. So that's certainly an interesting dynamic. It's it's funny that we we have Thomas chugging along. We have the retired police officer and his replacement. Thomas assumed he would be friendly. I, I imagine there are a lot of people out there who don't see a cop and assume that they are uh, the most friendly of people. Now, this guy did kind of seem like he was uh, a little bit more of a dick than 
what 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 you would normally expect. And he 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 was he seemed to be complaining because he didn't get much sleep, and that Thomas is whistling as if this isn't his job. Yeah. He he's out. It's not even like he's in the precinct sleeping off like a, a couple donuts that he'd had. He's <laughs> he's out with his bicycle, and a train whistles to him, and he's he's pissed off about that, and he stops. And then this episode really and and Tara picked up on this as uh as, as the episode started to end and as we went on to the next episode. But this episode introduces a conflict that is never again reintroduced which is the notion that uh tank engines or steam or really broadly uh steam engines would have cow catchers and side plates now toby and later mavis the diesel are two engines that do come with side plates and cow catchers but gordon james edward percy none of these engines have side plates and that's never again mentioned as a potential problem. What do you think about that dynamic? It is super messed up, um, the fact that Thomas ends up getting in trouble for that. And uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but the next episode is also literally about cows, and no one else has cow catchers. But this policeman makes such a big deal out of it here. It does seem like the policeman is gunning for Thomas because he woke him up from his middle of the day leaning against bicycle nap. Yeah. The And you know honestly also it seems like it may have been premeditated. If you look down at his notebook, it does say regular lawbreaker before he was <laughs> presumed to have written it. Now, you could take you could take a bird's eye view and say, "Okay, they got to set up the stop motion guy. They got to set up the the figure beforehand." I don't know. I think maybe there's the chance that this guy is just really one huge asshole. I I, I don't know. I think it's quite likely. So Sir so John Matt is sitting with his wife, and then the butler comes in. Now, this is also kind of an interesting dynamic that I want to uh, just spend a little bit of time with. Sir Tobin Matt is really, he's like a Vanderbilt or a Carnegie or uh, a Getty or... Uh, a Zuckerberg, or <laughs> a, this dude is this dude is 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 the sort of kingpin of the island of Sodor, and yet he doesn't have the local law enforcement right in his pocket. So the butler comes in, and we see that uh, picture of uh, an engine with a mustache, which we never. I, I I can't speak for the entirety of the CGI era, but uh, with the model trains, uh, which this show will probably not at all ever cover the CGI era, but. There's a guy with a mustache, a train in the back, who I looked up on the wiki. He says his name is Ernest, which is odd. Um, it does kind of bring to mind uh, later in the show, in the George Carlin era, when they bring the narrow gauge engine. Uh, Sir Tom Hatt's office has a picture of Duke. This kind of looked a little similar, but I, I don't know. It just it seemed odd that the engine would have a, a groomed mustache, just, just from we, what we know of these engines in free will. I thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Where did it come from? So, Sir Don Matt says, bother that telephone, which really speaks to the smartphone era, <laughs> because I, my phone vibrates all the time, and I just look down and go, bother that telephone! Very angry. So, they go down, and Sir Don Matt learns that the law is the law. Now, from what we know of uh, how, how justice works... Uh, rich people tend to get ahead, so the idea that Straubenhau was unable to bribe the police officer, I think, is maybe a little unrealistic 
for a man in his power that he wouldn't be able to do that. I thought that was maybe a little bit odd. There's no kind of lobbying that he can do on the parliamentary system of the island of Sodor to change the law. It's the law is the law, except we know that this regular lawbreaker continues to regularly break the law for the rest of this tape, the rest of the show. We can kind of... uh, It's also just kind of hard to assume that Toby would be the only one to go that route or that the cop that would uh, only look at that route forever, just from what we know of of engines, uh, where their assignments are, whether they're working on Thomas's branch line, the main line. We'll talk more about that with regard to Percy later on. The whole thing just seems like kind of a mess, and it seems like a mess designed specifically to bring Toby back. Now, there's actually kind of an interesting element of continuity here. So this episode is a, really a direct sequel to uh, Toby the Tram Engine, where the, where the Sir Tom Hat, then known as the Stout Gentleman, went on holiday to places where the same sets were used, but uh, we'll just pretend it was far away. And that episode ends really sad with the people holding a party for Toby, even though they didn't ride him, and that they're the reason he had to go away. And it ends on a note that he gets a letter from the stout gentleman. Now, from this episode, from Thomas Riggs' rules, it's clear that Sir Tom Hatt does not know that Toby, that his line has shut down. Because he says that um, it's lorry cars or, or, or some kind of trucks have taken over his work. So he doesn't know that Toby's literally just sitting there. So the timing, the t- the the timing is 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 interesting because uh, it does kind of leave open the possibility that even if this incident hadn't have happened, if the if Sir Tom had learned of Toby's demise, of his railway's demise, that he would then send for him anyway. But I I, I just think that was kind of written uh, with with uh, a, a very strong grasp of the continuity because the stout gentleman didn't know that it all had closed down. So that was kind of neat. Had you picked up on that, Tara? I did not. I do not follow them that closely as you do. Well, and he brings, uh, well, Toby also brings Henrietta along, which is exciting because she was supposed to be turned, the station master wanted to turn her into a hen house, which I think is just uh, horrific. If you were if you were a, a coach and the idea that you could be turned into a, a hen house was presented, do you think that would be something that you would be pleased about? No. It's 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 horrifying. And it's also horrifying just the notion that, that these people really don't have free will. And moments like that notify if Thomas hadn't whistled at the uh, police officer, Henrietta might be a hen house. <laughs> That's, I, I don't know. And Henrietta still doesn't have a face. She never gets a face. Uh, it's un- kind of unclear how she talks. Same goes for the, uh, the, uh, tr- the, the coaches that are designed for the cows names are somewhat escaping me right now. It's a, it's, it's an exciting episode. Toby, Toby's one of my favorite characters. So I, I really, I, I love his introduction. I love that. I love that he also intentionally antagonized the police officer, uh, later on, which endeared Thomas, uh, to him because it really, it sends a message to children at a young age that police officers are not your friends and that they're dicks. And if you have the opportunity, shower as much shade down upon them as possible. And I think that's actually a very good moral. Unless you want to be arrested. 
That would not work out well. It's unclear if the police officer had the jurisdiction to straight up arrest Toby. It's interesting. We, we really don't learn the answer to that. And they're sentient beings. It's the it's it's very odd. The cop yells, "Or you?" Well, um, I, I you know the one lingering mystery at the end of this episode is the idea that Thomas is there are a bunch of workers that are uh, uh, surrounding him as as the shot ends, and they're at uh, I think they're at Eldridge Station. For whatever reason, they uh, Thomas is having some work done on him, even though he's he's seated he's seated at the at the station with Annie and Clarable, presumably going to another. Uh, he's he's presumably working, and yet they're working on him. The narration does not explain what possibly could have happened, so that's certainly uh, it's a it's a peculiar dynamic. What do you think had potentially happened to Thomas? I I didn't notice anything like that. I I, I don't know. Maybe he wanted more paint. Well, a new coat of paint, which I'm, uh, is a reward that the engines uh, frequently have bestowed upon them. It's it's really it seems like just a really great reward. When I was little, and I'd done something good, I would sort of jokingly say to my parents, "Do I get a new coat of paint?" Huh. And that was kind of a well done. You shall have a new coat of paint kind of moment. Like if you did well on a spelling test or something. Do key, people even have spelling tests anymore? I mean, I did when I was young. I They've got to. I would hope so. I mean, they can't just rely on autocorrect because I will sometimes misspell things so poorly that autocorrect can't even catch it. Well, I, I don't think my sister had spelling tests, and she's 10 years younger, but we're mm-hmm. getting off topic. Also, I would like to note in this episode, Toby's theme music of... It's so good. I love Toby's theme song. Did you like Toby's theme music when mm-hmm. he plays? It's they all have very happy songs. They do. I like James's a lot also. Uh, I think Cattle Cars is the name of those cars that I was thinking of. I have them in my notes for the next episode because I had flipped over. And now that I mention it, that uh, seems like a good place to uh, move on to the next, epi- uh, next episode in the tape, A Cow on the Line, also in the UK known as Just as Cows. Which, Cow on the Line or Cows? I, it's hard to say which is a better episode title. Which, what, do, what do you think, Tara? Well, there's a single cow on the line. Although, no, wait. Wait, is this the one with Bluebell? Yep. Yes, but do we have... Well, when what? do the cows... No, yeah, because we also have the car, the cows breaking the train connector. So there are multiple cows on these lines. That's there are two good. separate instances mm. of cows on the lines. That's a good point. So Cows, the British, the original version, is probably the better line. Yeah, because there's it's not just Bluebell. We've got the other herd of cows also. Yeah, that, um, that does make a lot of sense. We start off with Edward pulling uh, cattle cars, and... What really... What, what doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense is he's chugging along, and we see some cows who... You know, for whatever reason, their their pen is next to a next to a uh, railway line, and yet they're they're seemingly unfamiliar and scared by the presence of engines. But <laughs> they manage to uh, uncouple the remaining uh, the uh, the caboose and the uh, one of the cattle cars, and yet it's like chicken run for cows. It, it, it's very unclear how the cow is supposed to. Get the uh, get get it uncoupled without being killed. 
It doesn't make sense, but they do it. They are smart cows. Or, I mean, I, I really, I, I know some humans are, I mean, <laughs> I know some animals, some humans are stupid too. I know some animals are stupid. I, I don't know how many instances of a, of a cow charging a tra- a moving train. I just, uh, you'd think that instinct would probably say, hey, steer clear of that one. There is a bit of a goof with the cattle cars. Uh, if you count the number of uh, uh, cattle cars that Edward is is pulling, uh, it goes down, even <laughs> though, and then um, it goes from five to four, and then five again when the coupling is broken. So, uh, I clearly maybe the people uh, setting up that shot were also kind of having trouble with uh, with how the cows uh, how the cows <laughs> managed to get it loose, thinking of. Uh, how bizarre that you know that that's kind of one of the moments where the CGI may have may have helped because they would have been able to realistically show the cow breaking the coupling. I don't <laughs> know. Whole thing's a mess. As realistic as could be. Yeah, and Edward felt a jerk, but he didn't notice. He didn't say like, "Hey, fireman, why don't you uh, stick your head out, look behind you, and see if uh, see if our caboose?" And honestly, it's hard to think of a one of the scariest shots. You got the the conductor who is standing out of the caboose as he's surrounded by the cows who who clearly have such a vendetta against the train that they'll charge a moving <laughs> train. And then he's there with the uh, one remaining cattle car just seemingly about to die. It uh, And no one notices. Yeah, and he also kind of takes like a defensive posture up on the caboose. The whole thing is very scary. I, I would... I, I'm surprised that Ringo Starr didn't announce that the man had, uh, like, shit his pants or something, because that's probably what would have happened. It seems like the Thomas Tank Engine crossed over with The Walking Dead briefly, putting aside how much earlier this one is. We're in the 80s, and this episode's older than both of us. It's, um... That whole dynamic is uh, surprising, but back at back at the station, back at the shed, you've got... Well, near the shed, a couple sidings... Uh, kind of uh, to the right of uh, Tidmouth Sheds, you've got Edward is being harassed by Gordon Henry, who are dicks, and they usually are dicks. This episode feels like, this collection feels a little less savage than earlier ones, but they still are throwing a lot of shade, and Toby comes over and says, he says that Gordon and Henry have never met cows. Now, again, I think, and especially if you think about how this episode unfolded, it seems very unlikely that Gordon and Henry had never met a cow. I don't know about you. Does that seem kind of odd? Yeah, they seem to just be roaming around having fun and no one else knows about them. There have been other episodes before where cows are grazing on the side and on the rails. This isn't the first time anyone's encountered a cow. Yeah, specifically at the the final episode where James makes his like formal introduction where he's named, where Thomas has to come to his rescue. Uh, James has a cow that's right in front of him when he's off the line. Now, I don't think Gordon or Henry have gone off the line specifically yet, but uh, it does seem unlikely they would have never met a cow. And also, so Gordon drives by Edward yelling, mind the cows, in a, you know, really, really savage display of... Edward's just chilling at his station, and then, you know, off, off to his flank, Gordon just plows by him, mind the cows, just being a total dick. And on his very line that he's going on the express, he sees a cow. How has he never met a cow if there are cows on the express line? Seriously, this whole thing, it doesn't make any sense at all. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, so Gordon stops, 
and the cow feels lonely. That's why it's on the track. The narrator knows that the cow is lonely and going, moo. That, I I don't, we have an omniscient narrator. We know that. And yet it also knows the feelings of the cow. All right. We're, we're, we're expected to stomach that. I mean, the trains have faces. Uh, okay. And I, I guess also on the, the notion of, of Gordon and Henry not knowing uh, what cows were, they both, they both come in contact with this cow in the same, like seemingly at the same time. And the cow kind of crosses over the line to Henry, leaving Gordon's side free. Now, we do know that these are cows that attack cars. <laughs> So maybe Gordon didn't want to squeeze through, but but the idea that two trains were totally, totally uh, brought to a halt by this, uh, it, it stretches some imagination, I would think. We don't know why they don't want to just run her over either. If she's in their way and they're, like, blowing their whistles, they don't have their cow catchers, well, just, you know, snooze you lose, run her over. But that's not an option somehow. So this episode is a little different from the British. Uh, the American version of this really makes clear that the porter knows that Bluebell's calf is there at the station looking for their mother. How Bluebell got free and then knew to go to a station where the porter then knew the calf and knew what it was doing and where to find it... Uh, Let's just line up those kind of those sequence of events as something that did need to happen in order for this episode to make any sense. And yet we're sitting here looking at that. I don't know. It seems like kind of uh, a bit of a stretch. And what's this porter just like hanging around saying, ah, that must be Bluebell's calf. We've we've saw this. Was any work to do? Percy brings. A single cattle car with the caboose, maybe the same one from before, with the calf in it, and Bluebell is just there, ready to ready to receive uh, the calf. It 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 lines up so neatly. You just kind of have to st- sit there and think to yourself, uh, "This is maybe a little bit too convenient." But also, why don't they contact the farmer? Like someone's got to be in charge of these cows. There is no farmer. No farmer was mentioned. None. Just just a porter. Maybe the porter is also a farmer. <laughs> now, if these episodes were longer, these are these are quick episodes. You only you only have a little bit of time for uh, a plot in each episode. But if this is a little longer, maybe we could have had a dynamic where uh, the police officer stops Percy from being able to deliver Bluebell's calf because he doesn't have side plates and a cow catcher. I don't know. Maybe that would have a little bit more continuity. But so the episode ends. With Gordon and Henry whispering, not a word, keep it dark. And they're not supposed to talk. But naturally, uh, the island of Sodor is the most gossipy place on the planet Earth. So not everybody knows about it. And Gordon Gordon sits back and says, well, I didn't want to hurt the calf. Fair. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he wasn't. We don't really know. But he just kind of, he he, he kind of says this sort of uh, very vague, uh, bit of trying to establish some camaraderie about Edward to try and put this matter to rest. And Edward, being old and wise, just kind of looks at him like, okay, boomer. (laughs) 
So, well, I guess Edward's probably the boomer in this. Edward, Edward is really shown to be older than everybody else, and yet when it comes to, like cows or later the harbor and that kind of stuff, it's as if it's as if this railway is really sort of a new thing that's growing and growing. I don't know. The whole the whole situation's a bit odd. So next we have Old Iron, which is one of the most action-packed episodes. It's one of my favorite. I know that before we started doing this, this is one that I definitely showed to Tara a couple of times. It's one of my favorite Edward uh, episodes. Edward is an engine that will always... I think Edward, Edward, Percy, and Toby, for me personally, are, are, are really the endearing ones. My grandmother was a big fan of Edward, so uh, I, always, I always smile when I see him. This episode is a little unrealistic. Now, we won't include the idea that Edward, I mean, that James was mad at Edward for being late as unrealistic. He starts calling him Old Iron. He's talking smack to Thomas and Percy, who are hanging around by the sheds in the middle of the day. We'll just, uh, we'll establish that as, as something that's plausible. But James finds himself the next day in a position where uh, his driver is sick. And this is this is an episode really where free will is front and center. The free will of the engines is front and center because Ed, because James, if his driver's sick, I mean he's kind of screwed out of his day. I mean there's there's presumably backup drivers. We've moved away from in the early uh, episode. Edward made a made a big deal of the fact that the driver selected to take him out today. From now on, it's kind of clear that the drivers work with specific engines uh, almost all the time. So the signalman sees two boys fiddling with James's controls and doesn't do anything to stop them. And he's got he's got a full knowledge of the story of what happened, and yet James takes off at the station without any any kind of uh, any any effort by the signalman to stop it. Although I will say that in terms of emergency SODOR protocol, they halted everything. The signals immediately responded. And that, that, that kind of sets up the idea that James would be able to travel for so far with no driver and, and not crash or land in a pile of dirt like Percy did. Generally speaking, when we have engines on uh, runaways, they, they stop pretty quickly, but not here. And maybe that's the, the work of the signalman. It's kind of a racer of sorts. And Thomas had suggested that Edward would be able to beat James in a race. From all we know about the, the sort of engine strength hierarchy, James is really positioned to be the number two after Gordon, which is also interesting because Henry is, uh, is, also, is bigger than James. But James, is, James drives the Express... We never see Edward drive the Express. Sometime, well, pull the Express. We see Henry do it sometimes, but really it's usually Gordon James. Henry is the hierarchy. So the idea that, as Thomas says, that Edward could beat James in a race any day, it's, it's proven by this episode, but it does not seem all that realistic. So we get this character, the Inspector, that we don't normally uh, see, and he's got a great plan. He tells James his fireman, who's still on board to, to help clean up this mess, he needs to get a shunter's pole and a coil of wire rope, which are uh, also just, just I mean, you would think that they would be convenient. The rope did not look made out of wire, actually, when it was made into a noose, the, the noose of rope. And I don't think, actually, wire rope can be tied in a noose, so that's kind of odd later, but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. What's kind of 
of interesting about this episode is the idea that Edward is ready to go with the inspector basically very quickly after this instance happens. Now, you can maybe say, okay, it's early in the day. Maybe Edward wasn't off doing work, but but there aren't that many engines, and Edward is really ready ready to respond, and it's very, very quick. He, he really, the, the, the emergency protocol in this episode is incredibly impressive. What do you think about the idea that Edward caught up to James, Tara? It doesn't make sense, um, especially given James, it's it specifically mentioned that James is speeding up and he's leaving so much earlier than Edward before everyone really realizes what's going on before the rescue mission starts. And he seems to get to him pretty fast. They show them, like, he's starting to catch up and then getting head-to-head, pulling ahead, while James is supposed to be going very, very fast. And he's also smaller. Yes, he has two small—he has two big wheels as opposed to James's three. What's odd is that they go through Knapford Station, kind of the main one. James goes through Knapford Station— and that would have really been the opportunity for somebody to jump into the cab because the the train would have been essentially right next to the uh right next the station would have been right next to Edward versus the uh rather large jump that the fireman had to make from Edward to James so and it really, it must have been terrifying. You've got you've got the inspector at, uh, on the on the front of Edward with his noose of uh, of wire rope that he's tied into it. You can't tie. I I took sailing. We learned how to tie nooses, bowlines, all those sorts of knots. You cannot tie a noose with a wire rope. Nor does that rope in the in the episode look like it was made out of wire. It looks like it was made out of uh, rope string. I don't really know what rope is typically made of. Did you think that looked like wire? I don't remember what it looked like. I don't remember seeing anything that looked like wire. No, it didn't. And actually, so it's also kind of odd. I I get the strategy of using the rope to uh, try and try and get uh, a hold of it uh, uh, to try and get a hold of James, and yet at the same time, that's kind of dangerous. Once it's no longer necessary, because if Edward or James were to let off steam and like their their speeds weren't matched, uh, the one that was moving forward would would conceivably pull the other one off their line. So that was kind of odd. And they stay they stay tied together until they get to Wellsworth Station, Edward Station, where Trump Hat is. It it it, it must have been terrible. I really love the image of the inspector hanging off hanging off Edward. Even though it, it doesn't make any sense that Edward would have caught James. Edward is... Whatever Thomas says that, that Edward could beat James in a race any day, Edward could not beat James in a race any day. That just doesn't make any sense. And the fireman, I would have really also... CGI would have been great to have shown the fireman jumping from Edward's cab into James. And the, the narration says he scrambled. I, I, it seems like you need Ethan Hunt for Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise, <laughs> to just to get over there. I mean, that's terrible. I would never have made that jump. I would have said, bye, James. I don't really care what happens to you. Yeah, this You're- is quite a risky operation to save this train 
when it seems like they're, they're, they need better ways to stop runaway trains, not just sending them miles and miles running free. There, there needs to be a safer way. Well, I remember the, so the original book, like the small, um, the little small, uh, stories that these are based off of that the Reverend Audrey wrote, uh, I always used to laugh because it's not said in the show, but in the books, it's uh, made clear that the boys who caused this mess were beaten later. Oh. Yeah, like a woodshed beating or that kind of thing that uh, I've often found that the the stories tend to kind of tie up those kind of loose ends. We do never hear about what happens to them. It's funny at the end of this, well, they mention that Edward says, well, the old iron caught you now. And Edward wasn't present for when James said Old Iron to Thomas and Percy, so this is clearly either the gossip spreads or James has called him that to his face before. They get to Wellsworth Station, and Sir Tom Hatt says, you, you know, Edward, you can go for the to the works to have your worn-out brakes replaced. James, take a breather. I know you've been on the ride of your life, but you have a train to take. I would have... I, that, that's not kind of unfair. It wasn't like he was... It is. It wasn't like this was James's fault. He didn't do anything wrong. I, I just saw... So, on, on the subject of free will, if I had my controls played with, and I... Whatever that means, and I had to go... Go on uh, a really uh, involuntary race for as long as he did, I would be horrified. That would... I, I would need counseling. Most people would, but wasn't... Wasn't it said that James was having fun at first before he really realized that he was out of control? Yeah, and even that kind of notion's problematic. Say, well, he liked it. It's okay. (laughs) Well, he says specifically, what a lark. He's having fun until he realizes, I don't actually have anyone with me. Well, yeah, and that's a good point, too, because he starts to speed up. And Edward apparently can still catch him. But uh, good on Edward. I do like these episodes that give Edward the last laugh over the kind of obnoxious three, the trio of uh, Gordon, Henry, and James. That's always kind of nice. It's it's an exciting episode. I think Old Iron, if I had to do a top ten of Thomas episodes, that would definitely be pretty high. Probably even top five. It's it's one of my favorites. I love love Edward. Uh, I love when the inspector sees uh, James's fireman. Good man, jump in. A lot of good lines. Tara kept looking over at me as we watched this because I seem to have known all the words of the narration. I, I really, I do love this episode. And now we get on to Double Trouble, which is an odd episode. Thomas starts off boasting about his blue color, which is, I, I, we never see the engines just change colors. They do a bit in the books, especially early on. I think Edward, for, uh, not Edward, uh, Henry, Early on, is shown to be blue for a little bit. He's at the end of his Henry's Tunnel, uh, at the end of that book. I really wish I had them here. I. So Thomas talks about how blue is the only sensible color for an engine, <laughs> who is really useful. And they've really, they've got such sort of a twisted sense of worth. It's tied specifically to produ- productivity, which I don't think is very healthy. But he goes there and he's boasting to Brown Toby, who I think looks great with the brown, and Percy looks great with the green. And they're just kind of eye-rolling, like, what a jackass. But they're on... uh, I I like episodes like these a lot because they show uh, Thomas, Percy, and Toby working on Thomas's branch line, which is where a lot of the books are set. Uh, 
that's really they're they're sort of uh if if gordon uh james and henry are the uh bigger power trio then the smaller power trio is kind of more fun of thomas percy and toby so we see thomas resting next to a coal hopper which isn't realistic for a few reasons it's not a good spot to rest period but if we're gonna if we're gonna build off the free will aspect, Thomas is resting next to a spot where his driver and his fireman would presumably be either resting themselves or getting out to go have a rest somewhere else. Why would they pick like the dirtiest spot possible for Thomas to have his rest? No one likes to be around coal, especially if you don't have to be around coal. I mean, have you ever saw? Have you ever seen a mound of coal and decided to rest next to it? No, that sounds like a very dirty place. Well, what's also doesn't make any sense are the they're the unsafe buffers nearby, which are just casually kind of known that these are unsafe, and yet nobody does anything about no. it. it. Doesn't seem like that's kind of odd. And there are multiple sets of unsafe buffers because there are these which are near the coal hopper. And then there's the ones over by the station, which the narrator, I, there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, it's kind of vague what, uh, if, if they're the same unsafe buffers or different, because he says next to the unsafe buffers later on when Percy gets fooled. I mean, this whole dynamic, so we just we just basically went from like a point early on in the episode to, to the end of it in the sentence, so let's just take a step back. Thomas is next to the, the hopper. Percy accidentally moves. He's got the unsafe buffers, which are, are kind of causing some problems. But the coal hopper, uh, the the freight car is off the coal hopper, and it keeps going. And if you see the mound of coal by the end of it, when Thomas is going, help, help, there's enough coal there to fill like five trains worth of coal. Who who's operating this hopper with nobody there just putting mound upon mound of coal dust? Can is can Thomas suffocate in that? It's not really clear. <laughs> it's it's the whole thing is just a disaster. I, I just I, I don't really understand what happened. And and they're also it it, it doesn't make I, I guess it makes sense that he's too dirty to take his train. They they don't really do a good job of cleaning him. Toby has to take Annie and Clarabelle. Not really clear what they uh, what they think about that, but uh, just just a total. I like the scenes when they're in the uh, when they're in Thomas's branch line shed, where it's Thomas, Percy, and Toby. Toby often sits in the middle because Thomas and Percy tend to have a little bit more conflict, and Toby's kind of the more mature one. So. Percy kind of throws shade at him, saying, you know, it's it's unfortunate that Thomas, you know, becoming a disgrace uh, for to Sir Tom Hatt's railway because because he got coal on him and he had to take a bath. He's now, he's a disgrace. You think that's kind of an overstatement? Yeah. It's, uh, and, and per Percy's mad at the implications that he had, uh, dumped all the coal on purpose i mean i guess the coal can be recovered but it seems it seems like such an unnecessary and disastrous waste and i i just i i look at i look at all the i look at how much happened and 
it, it, it seems like most of it wasn't anyone's fault besides the humans, and yet they're yes. never they're never blamed for anything. No, Thomas thinks Percy's at fault for like making him dirty. No one No one is actually at fault here. They're just mad at each other. Yeah, they really Things are happening. Well, to be fair, the end of the episode does kind of establish that, yeah, there were some misunderstandings and that, that, you know, Percy says, Thomas, you know, I didn't do that on purpose. And then they, they, they agree. And, and I guess if, if we seldomly talk about, we we don't really talk about this, but I mean, this, this show is supposed to try and instill some morals on children. So from that perspective, the idea that, that Thomas and Percy had a misunderstanding, had a fight that was really uh, built on a shaky foundation, and that they recognized that, they acknowledged it, and life went on. That's kind of good that all of that happened, I guess, you know. And yet, we're, we're sitting there watching the television, and uh, it, it doesn't doesn't make a a, a whole lot of sense this episode also double trouble is uh noteworthy for i guess this one was called thomas percy and the coal in england that's a better title than double trouble because percy's percy's trouble at the end is really very forced it's also not his fault his driver colliding with the unsafe buffers different unsafe buffers that the narration kind of implies are the same buffers as somebody moved over to the water tower it doesn't make any sense uh, that's not, none of that was Percy's fault. But then there's, it was time for Thomas to leave. He had seen everything. That's a, <laughs> that's a Thomas meme. And that's, that's one of the most well-known Thomas memes. So, uh, this episode is historic for, for that regard. Yeah, it, it really, it feels like Percy at the end, they just kind of threw that in so that Percy could also be made a fool so that he and Thomas could make up easier. I, I, I don't actually think that any of that was needed for the for the episode to arrive at the destination that it ended up at anyway. I don't know. Didn't make a ton of sense. I would also note that around this point in the tape when we don't talk about the uh the when they play the song in between the episodes and they just show the engines with their name, which is actually helpful to memorize the names. I didn't really I can't recall ever not really knowing who the engines were because that's kind of so baked into you, but at this point, they include Diesel in the mid... The mid uh, I keep calling them the mid-credits. They're kind of like that because they're designed to show you who the characters are, which is what opening credits do, especially for children's show, shows. But uh, Diesel's in them. Diesel doesn't come until uh, the next tape, better late than never, that collection. And he has three... Ep- that'll be fun. That'll be really fun to do all three of those. But uh, Diesel appears. And that also kind of looks like the first ones that were shot after the originals because diesel's in a different spot he's not in front of the shed like uh, all the other ones duck also is featured a different spot but i think they showed diesels before they showed ducks in the mid credits that's kind of odd but anyway james in a mess we see more kind of i i guess is you know is is discrimination really the right word of James sees Toby and Henrietta. What dirty objects. That's so rude. It is. It, it does feel like it's kind of discriminatory. Like, if somebody saw me and was like, oh, what a dirty transgender person. They would use uh, terms other than that. 
I would I would get mad and I would say, well, what about the time you needed to use a bootlace? And then the person wouldn't understand what I was talking about. But that's what Toby did when James insulted him. And we see some of the classic Thomas the Tank Engine savagery. Sa- savagery? Savagery? I, you guys get what I'm saying. James is just being a dick. He's not... James is not really that nice of a person. Even post-Old Iron, he's really... Uh, Gordon Gordon is arrogant and kind of a douche, but James is James is much more mean-spirited, like he has a Napoleonic complex almost. So he gets made fun of for the bootlace, which uh, it's always great to see continuity in that regard. Like Thomas, Thomas's race with Bertie is iconic, and there's you know there's other moments that are uh, really that that carry across the whole series. But my personal favorite is when everybody mentions to James, yeah, I remember the time you needed a bootlace as if it's like the most emasculating thing ever. <laughs> I, I, I love it. So Toby says, James, why are you red? Which is, I, I don't know. Is that a fair question? Uh, James is the only one who's red. I guess. Yeah. But given how sensitive everyone is to colors, they, they put so much stock in what color they are, even though they can apparently change colors. It's just not done. Right. And they get it's new- not something to really ask about. Well, they're often rewarded with new coats of paint, as what mm-hmm. happens at the end of this episode. Uh, yeah, and it's also, I, I guess, also the specific color of each engine. Uh, they don't have necks. They can't see their color. <laughs> no, none, they can only see the color of other people. That's a good point. So uh, it's just odd, and, and and more specifically, also they can really only see them with engines that are in their range of vision, and and actually specifically, like the way that it's framed in in that scene, they're next to each other at the station because that's kind of a that's kind of a uh, obvious point for them to talk for them to talk because they're right next to each other, as opposed to passing by or or whatnot. I, it's kind of unclear of uh, how how easily Toby would be able to see him anyway. I don't know. That's maybe maybe we're maybe we're overthinking this a little bit, but but also maybe not. Very, uh, it's a mess. What I also love about James is sort of his his uh, broader canon is the freight cars just hate James. They really don't like him, and he finishes his uh, train with the old. I love them. You really only see them in the early episodes, those old coaches that are uh, green and kind of like a creamish color on them. They're the smaller ones that are not used for the Express, but Henry pulls them sometimes. James pulls them. I don't think Gordon ever does. They're very they're very cute, and I like them a lot. Uh, James has to pull his freight train, and he goes up Gordon's Hill. And what I like about that is also the narrator kind of explains that you're supposed to set your brakes at a specific moment. Cause Gordon's Hill is a, a real pain in the ass. We see uh, a lot of engines struggling on it. Uh, maybe most famously in the Donald and Douglas episode where, uh, I think it's Donald just plows right through the spiteful brake van. That'll be, uh, we'll cover that in a future tape, but it's, it's a tough hill and they kind of explained why. And yet free will also kind of comes back into play James doesn't set his brakes. He's not paying attention because he's thinking about what to say to Toby when they see each other again, which also it, it demonstrates one of the unhealthier aspects of the life on the island of Sodor. 
they travel the the trains meet each other at stations for a bit say mean things and then spend the rest of their day thinking about <laughs> mean things to say to them once they get there and james james has an accident because he's been stewing on his grievances for so long but also where is his driver the driver is there and just doesn't stop him i think i have a note that says the driver told him to wait yes and yeah. what does the driver do? Yeah, the driver is supposed. To, James is really not not much of a uh, factor in this. He should, or or rather, he shouldn't be. Now, we see later, and Percy proves a point that that Percy asks the conductor to set the brakes. That doesn't happen here. It does kind of look like it would would be necessary. Also, just kind of odd. These freight cars, they just have a death wish. They just want to. <laughs> they're just like, oh, we have this moment. All right, ready? It's time to die. Like on, on. We have no, we have no control. But let's try and let's try and kill everybody on this train. It, it's a, it's a disaster. So James goes and he's pushed down the hill. And they go to. I, I would also note that this episode does have a better British title as well. Yeah, the American title is James is in a mess. The British title is Dirty Objects. I think that's a little better. It's just, it's so, it's so, like, offensive. Um, they, uh, James has his crash, uh, where it's not really clear. I, I'm pretty sure that it's Knapford Station. Um, James plows in to the, uh, tar car, which doesn't have a face. We don't know if it can talk. We don't know if it can feel, but it looks as though pretty much the, the tar car is dead. Because James crashes yeah, straight. Yeah, it, it looked very broken. It looks, it, it's dead. And... It's not something that people really care. They don't mention, like, oh, we had a funeral for the freight car that, that really died because of this crash, that it, that it was its own fault. Yeah, no, they're not mentioned. What is mentioned is that James wasn't so much hurt as he was dirty. Yeah, he was dirty. With no mention of the poor other cars that died. We had, yeah, we had casualties in the episode. But he's dirty, and that's what really matters. Yeah, he's covered in tar. And... Toby and Percy, like, imagine if you were a, like, a fireman or a first responder and you went to a car crash on the side of the highway and you start making fun of the dirty, of the broken car and making fun of the driver saying, look at your broken car now. Toby sees Percy and they're there to help. They're there to clean up the damage. They're right next to a couple of dead bodies and they want to make fun of, of this dirty object in front of them. Because James is supposed to be red, and this guy is covered in tar. Let's make fun of him. And I, I, I guess the tar—it's got to be warm enough that it's a, that it's that it's a, a liquid, and it's not burning him. It's not—he doesn't have facial scars from the burning of the tar. It's—it's—it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of a—it's it, the whole thing is a mess, and it's also just—it's. It's sad, and we don't hear. We don't hear what. Okay, it, James did not crash in Knapford Station. He, cra- I knew it wasn't Knapford. It's Marin. Knapford is the station where he picked up the train. Marin Station is where the crash happened. Thank God, because Marin Marin is not really used. So it's important that we note this because, um, thanks thanks to the Thomas Wiki, I I double checked that as as I said it, uh. Marin Station is really not used from this point over, so uh, we're 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 uh, 
It's kind of sad that they end on such a down note that there's this crash. Maybe they closed the station because of the, the broken tar car. It's, it's, it's a disaster. But what's kind of odd is that James needs two engines to help him back, even though he doesn't appear to be broken. He did not get derailed. He crashed into them, but he's shown to be on the rails. Maybe he's just a little uh, frightened, but uh, Toby and Percy take him back, and Toby gets a new coat of paint. For really, I mean, yeah, he helped clean up. Yeah, maybe that's coat-worthy, but um, it seems like it's more of a response to the fact that the episode started with his coat being made fun of to begin with, and then Toby also asked for Henrietta to get a new coat of paint. What did Henrietta do to deserve the new coat of paint? She was very nice, apparently. I guess. <laughs> Just doing her job. Good friend. Thomas Th- Thomas, Annie and Clarabelle kind of have this defined relationship of Thomas kind of it's almost like there is like nagging girlfriends and he's just trying to resist. Toby Toby and Henrietta have this very sort of wholesome, uh, much healthier relationship. They're really always looking out for each other. Uh although Henrietta gets upset with people say things that might offend her, but Annie, Annie and Clarabelle have a lot more anxiety, and Thomas is, is, is really is is trying to have a short temper with that kind of stuff. It's 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 a, it's an interesting dynamic. And also, what's kind of odd, Sardomat does not seem to give two shits about this accident. Nope. When they come back, like he does not care. There were people, employees of his, his 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 tar car. Let's just let's just let's let's be blunt about it. They are dead. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. Wait, and if you think if you think this isn't a big deal, wait till we do get to the spiteful break, man, or to to scru- Oh, Oliver and Scruffy. We're we're far away from that. But if you're the kind of Thomas fan who's hardcore enough to listen to this podcast, we we will have words for those two. Scruffy. Oof. Anyway, it's very odd that he just doesn't care. But the episode ends. Uh, not. Not much of a mention of of these of of these casualties, but uh, apparently everything's everything's fine because James has been made fun of. He's been put in his place. He started the episode acting like a dick, and he's learned his lesson after other people died and he got messy. Yep. Oof. Anyway, on to Duck takes charge. Let's just make sure now that it doesn't have a British title because we'll mention that halfway through the episode. <laughs> duck i love i love duck montague and duck in in the books it's kind of made clear that the core eight engines are uh thomas percy edward toby gordon henry i already said gordon james and duck those are i've said eight and in, in that that everybody gets what i'm saying like people like oliver who have numbers those are not really the core mavis is not really uh supposed to be one of the core people duck is supposed to be the the eighth and the the original like when uh like thomas in the special letter where they go to meet the person those eight go that's kind of a reference and that that episode happens later uh later on in the series after tons of other engines have been introduced but it's clearly like based on one of the uh older episodes when they focused on these eight so Montague comes in, he's already got his letter, and he's already duck, and that's kind of all settled quickly. Although that's not really where the episode starts. The episode starts with Percy, James, and Gordon just chilling, 
And Percy decides to be annoying and go, do you know what? Like a, like a kid going up to an older parent, like, guess what I'm thinking? Guess what I'm thinking? <laughs> uh, and, and obviously they don't know what. And Percy goes, there's too much work for me. Like, people, and James, James actually, I agree with James when he's looking at him, like, uh, you don't have too much work, you're just a lazy sack of shit. That's basically how they respond. And he is kind of lazy, but there is kind of a lot of work to do. And what's kind of interesting about this dynamic, so Percy was originally brought in to do the shunting for the main engines because Thomas had gone on his branch line. That was his. That was the reason for his introduction in Tenders and Turntables. At this point, Percy is also helping out on Thomas's branch line. So once again, we do kind of have a situation where another tank engine is in fact needed for the shunting. Now, Duck later on gets his own branch line, but um, it, it feels like shunting at uh, at at Knapford or yeah, I guess Knapford would be the station. Uh, it seems like that's kind of like your beginner job and then you get promoted to a branch line or the harbor or something else. And Percy here is told, oh, you can go help at the harbor next, Thomas and Toby. Bear in mind that Thomas has a full branch line to run. And this this um, this also kind of, this dynamic gets a little frustrating uh, later on when like stuff like the mail train is talked about because you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, who who's running the branch line when this, when this is uh, happening? I don't know. It's uh, kind of a mess. Maybe maybe people don't care. Uh, so Percy and Duck are instant friends, and Duck Duck is a different Percy. Percy's really shown to be the child of the engines. He behaves the most immature. I, other ones like Thomas and James are less mature than they'd like to think, but uh, Percy definitely is the one who's who's the most childish and. Uh, Montague, though, immediately when they get there, Duck decides that they're going to go on strike for uh, reasons because uh, they've been bossing the the big engines, boss them around. It's clear that even though we've we've kind of been through this dynamic before, where we're not not supposed to treat people poorly, the engines are behaving in a they're hazing the rookie, which is 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 very severe now. We're supposed to take bullying very seriously. This is in the eighties. Willing probably taken a little less seriously, but Duck is gonna take a stand, and I think that's actually kind of admirable. Did you also so when Duck Duck explains his name by saying that he waddles? Do you think that Duck waddled around throughout the episode? No. You didn't. You didn't see waddling. No, he looked like a train. They're so mean to him. They're making these duck sounds. Well, so he does kind of have his arrogance with the Great Western way, which yes. Well, that also, I mean, that that's kind of a theme for him, and it gets worse when Oliver comes, too, because you got another great Western. That'll be a fun one to do. So, Henry and Gordon were going, quack, 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 quack. Uh, that wasn't very good, but uh, here, let's quack at the same time. Three, two, one, quack, 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 quack. <laughs> I don't know. Um, they quack, they haze him, and then Duck and Percy, well, actually, Duck... We know that Duck was the one who st totally started the strike, and yet Percy's the one who's on the turntable, kind of taking more of the heat. And you got the driver and the fireman who are up front, who are clearly also helping with this, and that's kind of never never really discussed, <laughs> the fact that in order for two engines to have a strike, you need to have 
Their driver and fireman also take part and presumably get fired by Sir Dalton Hatt for ruining. He wanted to go have his tea. He was looking forward to hot buttered toast as opposed to cold buttered toast. Nothing worse than like trying to butter a not warm piece of bread. Tara gets annoyed. I like my toaster on the uh, hottest setting imaginable. And that's because like I want hot the... is not the word for that. That is blackened toast. Well, it's not actually the bread is not actually blackened, but um, I want the butter to melt. I'm with Sir Tom Hat on this. I agreed with him. Sir Sir Matt gets there and he learns that there's this big problem. The engines they're being blocked. Er, the the there aren't that many engines overall at this point, and five of them are all done for the day. There's apparently no other trains being taken. They're all kind of arriving at the same point. And Gordon, uh, Henry, and James are really angry, and they're whistling, and Sir Tom Matt's like, look, I'm really pissed off that this disturbance happened, but I'm also pissed off that you caused this disturbance. I'm in charge. Bye, Felicia. Buttered toast. Here I come. No more strike. And it kind of ends at this weird moment I mean, I, I guess I guess Duck is supposed to establish himself as somebody you don't want to mess with, and yet, I don't know, it, it must be unpleasant for the, him to have to kind of be there with... Uh, the engines... Thomas, Toby, and Percy often sleep at their own shed on the branch line, but there are plenty of instances where they're sleeping in, in Tidmouth sheds, so it, the whole dynamic... Uh, there wasn't really this moment where they all kind of made up and made nice, and it's like, oh, they're friends. No, I, th- I think there's going to be some animosity in the future. I think I think they these engines still have stuff to work through. Really, really kind of a quick ending there. And I, I, I guess that the, the time constraints and all of that are also sort of what dictate the length of these episodes, but it did kind of feel like this, this had an incomplete ending. Do you think that? Yeah, and many of them really do. Some, sometimes, though, like, the incomplete endings get continued on to the next episode or more down the line. This one didn't really. It's just, like, very abrupt, and we're not going to address it again later. Well, right. So this episode moves on to... I mean, this episode does not... There's not another Duck episode on this tape, which is... Well, Duck gets the most... Okay, yeah. I kept... There was a point in this episode where I was taking notes and I kept thinking to myself, did I miss the line where Duck says, there's a great Western way and there's the wrong way and all the engines go, don't we know it? That's from one of the Diesel episodes. Maybe a, probably not a close shave for Duck. Pop goes the Diesel, maybe. Duck gets more of his exposition, but that's also alongside Diesel is one of the show's arch villains. That'll be next tape. Percy proves a point. The final episode on this tape is... It's a weird, weird episode. So the harbor's being built, at which point you're going to need a lot more engines because people have got to be down there. They've got to seemingly be everywhere. We'll talk more about that in future tapes of engines getting really more more duties than they're able to, uh, able to uh, control. This episode is also called uh, Percy and Harold in England, which is uh, maybe a better title. It's odd. Uh, Percy is not a sociable person, or he doesn't know how to make conversation. He sees Harold at the airfield and goes up to him and goes, Hello, who are you? Which is kind of like an aggressive approach. Like, if you were supposed to, like, if you wanted to know who somebody was, you could say, Hi, I'm Percy. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Not, Hello, who are you? Because then he has to go, 
I'm Harold. Who are you? Yes, it's a very jilted conversation. That's not how it usually goes down when you meet someone. Yeah, it uh, it 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 really it doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, you got the quick. If it's whether it's it's Harold or Terrence the Tractor or Birdie the Bus, they're all uh, thinking that their method of transport is better. Harold says air uh, um, trains are slow and out of uh, out of out of date, but that doesn't make a ton of sense. Harold's a helicopter. Harold is not going to be pulling freight, and uh, he can't really pull, take that many passengers either. So yeah, what is Harold good for? He's just buzzing around, making noise, disturbing everyone else. They don't show him doing anything important, and yet he's, like, trying to make all of these trains feel like they're outdated. Yeah, I mean, there's episodes where he serves in kind of a rescue capacity. Um, In the episode Rusty to the Rescue, where he meets Rusty, he's on patrol, which is kind of odd. Um, Percy gets mad, and he's angry that Harold insulted the railway. Because these engines have nothing to do all day except stew on their grievances, and then we get a we get a race. We get kind of so. This is the third race that we've seen in the series so far. But really, only one of the three was an actual race between Thomas and Bertie, where the drivers actually uh, established rules. This Percy doesn't actually talk to Harold about the race, and yet they go on the race, which I think is a little odd. The idea that uh, they so they start off and they're clearly uh, they're clearly in the song they're on their own branch line which is really Thomas's branch line but they race from Thomas's branch line to the harbor and it's never quite clear that there's been an accepted race ever Harold they don't challenge there's no acceptance there's no specific start point there's no the driver just says, let's race them. Let's go as fast as we can. That's very irresponsible. And he was also whispering, really. Uh, so there's no chance that Harold would have ever been able to overhear it. They just, on their own volition, decide we're going to race. And the cars don't even want to do it. It's really just Percy and the driver. Well, then I found kind of, I, unless it's some kind of like reverse psychology dynamic of we can only drive recklessly when the cars want it, not the engine. It didn't make sense that the cars didn't like it. And Percy is kind of being responsible. At one point, he said, brakes conductor, please. Um, Harold, on the other hand, looked very irresponsible. There's kind of a crevice. Uh, it's it's shown in this to be on the branch line. Uh, I think it's probably its most noteworthy shot would be Thomas and the missing Christmas tree when he's buried under the snow and Donald and Douglas find him. Harold is flying through that crevice very low, like... Low enough that he could crash very easily, and yet, and it's not really clear that he would uh, that he would have wanted to do that because he's not involved in the race. The whole thing—he didn't agree to it. He had nowhere to land. Uh, they won. They won this race that was basically always on their terms and their terms alone. Yeah. And the fireman climbs to the cat top and he sings his song. Uh, it's it's kind of. We'll just sing the song because I want to do it. Said Harold's helicopter to a Percy, you are slow. Your railway's out of date and not much use, you know. But Percy and his stone cars did the trip in record time and we beat the helicopter on our own branch line. Thomas's branch line. Please clap. 
Yay! Little Jeb, little Jeb Bush reference there. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's where we end it. With a nonsense race that doesn't make any sense. It happens. Uh, it, it does... This episode is, is valuable in terms of continuity from the perspective of... Percy and Harold always kind of have an odd... Harold has has more of a relationship with with Harold than I think pretty much anybody else. Um, Percy's promise also that really that's a weird episode. That dynamics in play there. Uh, they have this kind of it's it's kind of a love hate relationship. Uh, well, I, Harold is not Harold is the of of all of their non train friends that are major recurring characters. So the three that we mentioned plus I guess uh, Trevor. Trevor the tractor. Uh Harold is is by far the biggest dick of all of them. He's he's really not a nice man. And he loses a race here. Uh it's kind of silly, but at the same time I don't think any of us were really rooting. Were you rooting for Harold? No. No, I, I just I I don't know. Whole thing was kind of a mess, but it's a weird I it's an exciting note to end on, but I don't think this episode topped old iron in terms of the action. Did you really did you find the action very riveting in this episode? No, it wasn't. It was really a petty race that never really took off. Petty, yeah. These engines need to really learn to let go of insults, which they they really seem to struggle with, but uh it's it's an odd note to end on, but uh that's Thomas for you. A lot of these episodes are mm-hmm. odd. But uh, on that note, we have uh, we've gone through all of our all of our episodes. And uh, do you have do you have closing thoughts about this collection as a whole? It was a really fun watch. It wasn't too complicated as far as like the technical aspects of how trains work. So uh, it was good for me to just like sit back and enjoy and kind of take in the personalities of the engines. Those are really on display in this, and you can see a lot of the relationship dynamics more. And they're just out there having fun, being mean to each other, but they're having a good time. They're being mean. It's a good, uh, it, it's a good, it, it's an important tape. You get Duck's introduction, you get Toby gets, uh, Toby arrives on the island of Sodor, where, wherever else he was. They didn't, they didn't show him needing a boat or anything. Uh, weird, weird island, but, uh, it, it's certainly a lot of iconic episodes. Old Iron's one of my favorites. Thomas Rick's Rules is a phenomenal episode. It, it it's a lot of fun. And uh, the next episode is actually probably going to be... I know I've, I've said Tenders and Turtles a mile time. Favorite tape. I think Better Late Than Never could be one of the, the best for the show to cover. Because there's just so much that happens. So we will be sure to uh, not take as long of a hiatus this time. And uh, it's, it's always really great to be back on the island of Soda. I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time. And... I wanted to thank everybody so much for joining us. Thank you to Tara. We will uh, we will make sure that we're back sooner rather than later because Better Late Than Ever is up next. And for now, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>